Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. My name's Matt Southgoon, but you won't be hearing too much from me in this episode. That's because we're going to recap our live Welsh rugby debate from last night. And I wasn't too involved in that because they tell me I've got a face for this podcast only, which is nice, isn't it? Anyway, um, the Welsh rugby debate took place at the Beer Keller last night and it was streamed on Facebook Live and all the videos and fallout are on our website today if you want to check that out. Um, the event was hosted by our very own Delmi Parfit and John Dole was on hand to get questions from the audience. Up on stage, the main men were Andy Howell and Simon Thomas, uh, two of our rugby writers, and they were joined by two former Wales stars, Lee Byrne and Graham Price. There was lots of highlights that were great on everything, to be honest, but both players told some great stories from behind the scenes that you may not have heard before. Graham Price was particularly good on why Wales seemed to be a little bit behind the other nations in this Six Nations, and Lee Byrne was very, very, very good, in my opinion, on the fullback debate. Anyway, that's enough from me, and here is a recap in full of what went on last night. Enjoy. Good evening, everybody. Um, thanks for coming. This... Uh in case you didn't know, that this isn't a boy band auditioning for X Factor. This is the uh, pre-Six Nations Wales Online uh, rugby debate. Uh, we held one of these back in November before the Autumn Internationals, and we were joined that night by Martin Williams and Shane Williams. Um, we thought that went so well, we decided to do it all again, and I'm delighted to say that tonight we're joined by another two uh, former Wales and Lions stars, in Graham Price and Lee Byrne, and of course uh, our very own legends in Andy Howell and Simon Thomas on the far side there. Um, Just one thing to say, if you could keep your mobile phones on silent, it would be appreciated. And the other thing to say before we get started is please don't be shy in asking questions. That's what the guys are here for, that's what you're you're here for. You're going to set the agenda, not us, and everybody will do their best uh, to give you the answers that that, that you want. Uh, I'm going to exercise Chairman's privilege to kick us off by uh, coming in with the first question. I'm going to keep it simple, and it's how do you think, guys, uh, Wales will fare in the Six Nations? And, uh, Syme, I'm going to ask you to kick us off on that one. Cheers, Del. Um, I think the one thing I've really noticed about this championship is... It's a long time since there's, I've seen so many sort of quality teams out there. If you look through France and Scotland now, I've got an exciting look to them, Ireland, England. I think it's going to be a hugely competitive tournament. And probably because of that, I think realistically, I, I would probably go for a mid-table finish for Wales. And if you're pushing me how many games they would win, I, I would probably say, th- I'd probably say three. What do you think, Andrew? I'm a bit more optimistic than you, Simon, as always. <laughs> that's, a, that's a start. That's a new one. I think obviously it depends on the first two games. If Wales can get off to a good start in Rome, and then they got England the following week, uh, if they did manage to beat the English, all of a sudden the championship is on. I don't think they'll do quite that well though. I'm tipping them to be uh, to finish second because I think Ireland are going to flop this championship. Even though they beat South Africa, New Zealand, and uh, Australia in the last year, they've got a couple of key personnel missing, and I fancy they're going to lose it Scotland this weekend, which will really set the uh, championship up. I think England have got such a strong s- squad and their depth. I think they'll win the title, but I don't think they'll uh, get the Grand Slam or the world record for the uh, nation. So I'm tipping Wales to finish second. That's quite bold uh, there, Andy. Uh, what do you think, Lee? Um, you know, Wales have won the Grand Slam, playing all the Blues away, uh, Scotland, France, Italy, and we've done it with playing England, Ireland home, etc. Um, for me, 
uh, Italy, you know, I fancy them with Conor O'Shea coming in. He's sort of, you know, they beat South Africa, albeit it was under strength, South African team and uh, Wales went on and beat them as well. But um, I feel like, they, you know, they're going to offer something this Sunday and uh, it's going to be closer than people expect. Um, I do think Scotland as well, like, uh, like Simon said, with uh, Vern Cotter there, now as well, he, he's transformed them. So, you know, like you said, it's going to be a close tournament. Uh, teams are getting a lot closer, but I think it's going to be between England and Ireland. And I, I fancy Wales might finish third for me. Are you uh, optimistic, Graeme? Pessimistic? Well, as front row thoughts tend to be a bit uh, pragmatic, but uh, I found that's made absolutely no difference whatsoever when it comes to predicting results. So I give up doing that. I tried the uh, wishful thinking approach, and that doesn't work either. So. Uh, but I think we'll end up in the mid-table. Um, this is going to be a, a, a strange six nations after the autumn series we've had. Um, when you look at the autumn series, it's one of the best we've ever had when it comes to the results. But uh, everybody seems dissatisfied with our performance and, and the, uh, uh, the, the tactics that we've uh, we used and, and the personnel that uh, ha- we, we've had the opportunity to use, but we haven't used them. Also, this is uh, uh, the Six Nations where seedings for the, uh, the next World Cup are up for grabs. So we need to win two matches uh, out of the five um, in order to keep us in a situation where we don't end up in the pool of death like we did last time. So I think all these things will be motivating. I think uh, Howley has picked a side which reflects the fact that he doesn't want to take any chances. He wants to uh, uh, get us going uh, on, on a on a winning basis, I think we've got the team selected to, to beat uh, Italy in the first match, uh, as long as they, they perform the way we, we expect them to. Uh, but uh, when I look back uh, to last season, um, I've always had this feeling that rugby now is a four-year cycle, with the World Cup at the end of it. And uh, the time we start rebuilding as soon as the, the previous World Cup has, has finished, and we just have not taken the opportunity we seem to play the, exactly the same way uh, as we did uh, for the previous years under and, and Gatland. And I think uh, uh, we, we haven't really given us a, a great chance. We've, uh, we, we're about a year behind everybody else. If you remember England, uh, after the World Cup, they were booted out of it. They had to evolve. They got a new coach in and it completely transformed them. Well, we haven't done anything really to evolve the team or even rebuild. Uh, and I wonder sometimes... Uh, uh, would how will he have picked this team if he'd have started his rebuilding uh, at uh, the end of the last World Cup? Uh, so try to be pessimistic and, and optimistic and pragmatic, and I think we'll end up in the middle of the table. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> a, a bit of everything there. Th- thanks for that, Graham. Um, right, let's get to the floor. Um, John uh, is our uh, roving man tonight, so wherever you are, John, let's have the first question from the floor, please. I'm just by here, Delmy. Don't panic, don't panic. We'll go to this man here in the, the front row. Got here early, best seats in the house. Uh, introduce yourself to the panel and uh, ask your question. Hi, I'm Dave from Cumbran. Just uh, picking up from that, really. With the introduction of bonus points this year, surely it now puts an emphasis on the, the depth of the team and especially the substitutes and the impact they can bring. How do you think that plays with the, like the, the, the new talent that's coming through Wales, but yet they don't seem to be getting picked? Lee, uh, uh, perhaps come to you with being a uh, former back yourself well, and a try scorer, well, etc. Hang on, oh, Graham's got a few centre yards <laughs> in his time, I'm sure. No, you know, obviously, as a back, you know, you, you do tend to find yourself on the on the end of that pass, going over the try line. But um, 
No, there's a lot of talent missing. Let's not forget Keelan Giles. I, I, for me personally, I would have picked him if he was fit. Um, you've got Halame Moss missing as well. Um, you know, there's, there's some such quality out there in the back line for Wales at the moment, and uh, you know, an excitement coming through. Uh, it's just, it's just. I mean, the midfield we got. I think going back to what you said about evolving the game. I think now with Jamie Roberts being on the bench again for this, I think it was the second or third time he hasn't started a game for Wales. I think it's now starting to pan out a bit now what the sort of future holds for Wales and the game plan they want to play. Um, you know, they brought Scott Williams, John Davis in. I would have gone for Sam Davis maybe at at 12. Uh, I've watched him all season and his defence, not just his attack, uh, people talk about his attack and the kick, goal kicking, but his, his defence, he's not shy to make a tackle. Um, so I think quietly that we are evolving with, you know, Sort of doing it in a, in a way where you know dropping Jamie, Jamie to the bench and then maybe will he make the next World Cup? I don't know, um, but there's certainly a lot of talent out there in the back line and you know excitement. So I, I think they, you know there's going to be a lot of try. Hopefully there a lot of tries scored. Alex King has come in to help uh, Rob Howley. He was a former coach of mine in Claremont as well. Uh, great, terrific coach. Um, so I'm sure he'll have a few uh, tricks up his sleeve as well. So let's just hope we can see some exciting rugby. Andy, um, uh, exciting backs. Bonus points, um, as, as the gentleman asked. How much do you think that will um, play on people's minds, alter styles, etc.? Well, I think it's going to have a bit of bearing on the uh, championship, and I think over the, uh, in the coming years, it will actually help the stronger nations, probably England and France, when France get back to their best, which will happen sometime. I think it will always help the stronger nations because they have the players and the depth which enable them to put sides away. When teams like uh, Wales, Scotland, are in contention to win the championship. Perhaps we won't be able to do the same, uh, do the same scores many tries. So we won't, we probably won't pick up as many uh, bonus points in the long run. But I think the bench. I don't know why Jamie Roberts is on a Wales bench. I think that's complete and that's a waste of time because you've got to have some X factor on a on a bench. People have come off it last 20 minutes. I like to see Steph Evans on there taking Italians on and others because you can cover centre by moving George North in the midfield if they have a. Uh, of injury in midfield and then Steph could have come on on the wing so I just think that's pretty pointless you know if this is weekend if it is a worst case scenario the Italians on top Wales is having to score a try to win the game you know you need some X factor to do it which Lee said earlier Keelan Giles does exactly the, uh, the same thing so I think teams like uh, England and uh, Ireland definitely got some uh, more Im- I- impact off the bench I think there's something else we need to consider as well about tries. I think there will be more tries in this championship, and that is because of this new directive about tackling. When people, players are going to be scared to tackle so high, the coaches tell them, don't take any chances, we don't have any sim binnings or send it off. So I think that will enable the, the attacking team, the ball carrier, keep their hands free, and they'll be able to be a lot more offloads. So uh, you know, t- uh, teams should be able to get in behind defences, and hopefully we are going to be treated to something uh, spectacular. Okay, look, I'm going to go to the next question now because I'm conscious I want as many uh, people to get their points across as possible. So, John, uh, let's have another one, please. Okay, I'll just uh, pass the microphone over to this young man. Uh, Hi, Nathan from Cardiff. Um, There's been a lot made in the press about Sam and the captaincy. Do you think too much has been made? Blame Andy. (laughs) Uh, Blame Andy. Um... Good, good, good question, um, Simon. You, you, uh, you know Sam quite well. Um, what do you think of that? It's interesting, isn't it? I think everyone's waiting to see what kind of Sam Warburton emerges post captaincy. 
you know, he's done that job for a long time now, and it's, it is a, a big burden. I think it, it is important to say that, you know, he's done himself and his family and his country proud in the job, I think, to be fair. And um, you would hope now that his mindset will certainly be that he will want to prove now that he merits his place in that team, um, regardless of being captain purely on selection terms. And it's a big game for him this weekend. Moving more into a role of a six now, and interesting to see how that works with Tipperick. Um, but I think Wales are fortunate that, you know, with Sam um, moving on from the captaincy, you do have, you know, a, a truly inspirational figure there. To, you know, Alan Wynne-Jones, who's done the job for many years for the Ospreys, was captain for the Lions in the t- series decider, and he's the kind of person who will inspire by his, by his example. But I, I think, you know, it, it would be a mistake to sort of start writing Sam Warburton off because he still has a big role to play. Because when he is at his best, there are few better players in terms of the physicality of the breakdown and in the, in the tackle. So hopefully this will perhaps be a new lease of life for him and we will see some have a big role to play in the championship. Uh, Graham, what are your thoughts on the, um, the captaincy issue with Sam? Yeah, I think um, I'll agree that uh, my reflection of Sam and his career has always been uh, one of... Uh, Will he, will he or won't he make it uh, for the next international because uh, he's always been carrying injuries. He's never ever had a chance to sit back and, and uh, really recover from the injuries. Um, you know, you can't blame him for that. He's, uh, he's been a, a great player under the circumstances. But I think uh, uh, my reflection on his career so far is that we've never really seen the best of him. He's played well at times, but... Uh, it would be great to see him have a consistent spell in the team and um, see the Sam Warburton that, that uh, we should be seeing. Lee, you, you probably know the, the guys, um, well, you do know the guys better than any of us. Um, g- give us your opinion on, uh, on um, that. I think you know, it was the decision for him to play for Cardiff Blues against Treviso was um, a really brave decision and a personal, on a personal level it was the right decision that he made that for himself, uh, for his family. He knew that he's been coming to nationals um, year in, year out, carrying an injury, missing Blues games where, you know, there is employee, fans again disorientated with him, etc., etc. And I think he just took a step back and thought, right, I'm just going to concentrate on my club career, get him fit. And then I played with Sam when he wasn't captain for Wales, when he made impacts, when he was on top of his game, when he wasn't captain. I just personally think it's a real brave decision for himself, knowing Sam as a person, he took that step and you know on his own shoulders and said, "Look, you know I don't want this anymore. I need to to sort my own game out, relax on the captaincy. It's not a big big issue, and uh, you know and hand it over and, and fair play to him. When he turned down the Australian game to go and play in Treviso, I think that was a moment he knew I need to need to get myself uh, my head right for internationals and, and stay fit. And and br- briefly on that one. Thank, thank you, Simon. Yeah, d- didn't think Lee'd want to give me a pass. He's late to be all his career, don't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the right decision. And actually, I am the one, one person says the wrong uh, decision. Uh, I was there today with the Wales camp. I sense an edge there already. Alan Wynne-Jones certainly had an edge during his press conference. He's an inspirational leader for the Ospreys. I do think it was t- time for a change, and I think if Wales do well this championship, Alan Wynne Jones could be the key man, the man. Wales need to galvanise him so the guys play to their potential, because if they play with their, their potential, they're certainly capable of beating anybody in the Six Nations. 
Okay, uh, John, I think we're going to take one from social media. Yeah, we'll take a couple from uh, social media, because people are watching on uh, Facebook Live. That's what the kids are doing these days. Um, we'll do one to Lee and uh, one to Graham, uh, similar sort of thing. I think about the tan now, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. We'll, 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 we'll see. I've been on holiday. This is a real tan. Craig Evans from Cardiff um, says... Um, Lee, what do the players in the Wales squad really think of Rob Howley and Robbie McBride? And one you have Steve from Bargoy to Graham. Graham, you've been put in charge of the Welsh team. Congratulations. Uh, who from the management would you happily see depart? And who would you like to be your right-hand man? So, I don't know, Lee, you want to start with yours first? Well, you know, obviously, speaking to players in the camp, they're not going to tell me they want Rob Howley and Gatland out. But... Uh, so that's a bit of a silly question, but uh, no, on a personal agenda, um, I would like to see a change. Um, you know, I'm not scared to say it. Uh, I thought Stuart Lang Lancaster, the same team as Eddie Jones has taken over. Um, a fresh face, fresh impetus is, it could do wonders for a team. And, you know, I've, it's happened to me in the past with different coaches that come in and, and it, does, it does have an effect on, on the team mentally. And I think... Um, obviously when Roger Lewis left maybe everyone thought there was going to be a big change in it wasn't, I thought it put a bit of a, a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths and uh, you know but you know, it's now it's up to you know, the management and Rob and people to step up to the plate now and deliver now, they've been given another chance for me personally it is another chance New Zealand change their coach every 4 or 5 years bring another one through the system we seem to, we've kept the same one for 12, 13 years you know, things um, for me personally, I think uh, you know, you've got to move on, like Graham said earlier, and uh, move with the times, as I say. Graham, um, who would you uh, happily see depart from the Welsh management? <laughs> well, if, if, I, if I were to be appointed for, to Gatlin's position, I think he uh, made a big mistake when he first became coach uh, because the team to support him were already in place and. Uh, you know, I, I would want to be able to put my own team in place. Um, people who I, I knew and respected, and uh, rather than somebody who was uh, basically foisted on me. Um, you know, whether or not they've done a good job, we, we've had a lot of success under Gatland. Uh, probably the first thing I, I would say uh, um, would be that after this uh, Lion story, I'd say we have a polite word with Gatland not to return. And... Um, I would put Di Young in charge of the, the Welsh team because he's, um, I mean, he showed now, he, he's, he's learned by his mistakes at Cardiff, he's gone to Wasps and he's, he's done a, a tremendous job there. Uh, we need a Welshman in charge. Uh, I think that would be good for the, for the nation and the whole nation would get, get behind him. Uh, with regard to the rest of them, well, I mean, that would be Di Young's choice and uh, um, he's... Um, He's his old man, and uh, I'm pretty sure he'd put a good team behind him. Okay, let's uh, let's go back to the floor and take another question, John. Please. Just over here, Dale, with a, with an Englishman. Would you believe? Yes. Yes. As an Englishman, I've I've been here 45 years. I brought two boys up as Welsh. You know what I mean? But I'm an Englishman through and through. Can the panel tell me? The problem with England's that they're dropping by flies. You know what I mean? They got about ten players unfit. Do you reckon they'll be up for the task for the Grand Slam? I backed them already, so I hope I'm right. S All right, S Simon. Perhaps you can kick us off on that. When England ravaged by injuries, can they can they still do it? I mean, the thing is, um, 
injuries first. I mean, you probably say that to an extent that's the product maybe of the Aviva Premiership, which is a very physically demanding league. Um, but I remember on a number of occasions in the past where we've said, oh, in the last few years, written England off with injury problems, and they still performed. And what they do have is a greater depth of talent than probably any of the other na countries in the Six Nations. And they can probably deal with it better. Um, and if you look at the team England have picked for this week, despite missing the Vunapola brothers, um, despite the loss of, George, of Cruz in the second row, they, they've still got, you know, a really, really strong team. Um, although I do think that this weekend against France will be a bigger test than some people are expecting. I, think I watched the France-New Zealand game in the autumn, and they played some lovely stuff, and Novez has um, put his faith in some young, exciting players now, so that'll be a test for them. But generally, if any country can cope with losing 10 players, it's, it's probably England, just because of the numbers they have. Wasn't expecting a round of applause for that. <laughs> uh, Andy, do you, uh, do, you share that, uh, do you share that opinion? Yeah, as I said earlier, they're still favourites of the Six Nations. I don't think they'll do the Grand Slam, though. Even though I, predict, even though, even though I predicted Ireland are going to flop this championship, I think Ireland will produce a performance in the final uh, match and definitely beat uh, England in that. I do think, though, England will get... I think England will uh, beat the French this weekend. <laughs> But I looked at the England side for this weekend and I do think they are vulnerable in uh, certain positions, though the spine of the team is still uh, still pretty strong. Um, yeah, I, I think they're going to win the title, but I can't see them winning a the Grand Slam, so I don't think you're going to be collecting much money. Lee, Lee your thoughts on, uh, on the English? Well, the first time I'll agree with Andy in my career. Yeah, I agree, I, I agree that um, they will win the championship, but I don't think they'll win the, the Grand Slam. Um, yeah, the strength of, of depth they got is, is incredible. You know, they, well, they lose one player and they bring in like for like another player. And uh, that's something that other nations, like Simon said, you know, he's already answered that England have got. Uh, also, France have got a few injuries. Wesley Fofana snapped Achilles on the weekend. He's been playing some of the best rugby. He's, he's played for in a long while for Clermont. So he's a big miss for them. But then they got Remy Lamarat coming in. So, you know, I think uh, it's going to be closer than what people think, but I, I can see England tipping it. And, uh, but the injuries, you know, look, still looking at England on paper today was, was a strong squad, even though with the, injury, with the boys that were missing. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a credit to what, you know, Eddie Jones has brought people in from the EPL squad and, you know, and develop, giving people chances and, and they're ready to step up to the plate when they're called upon. The worry, the worry actually for the rest of the rugby world is England have won, I think it's three of the last four under 20 World Cups. And those guys, your Auntie Watsons, Jack Cliffords, etc., I told you, are all filtering through in the team. The danger is that they dominate, unfortunately, that they dominate world rugby. Dominate world rugby. That's, uh, that's a sobering thought. Um, just going back to the, the original question, Graeme, do you think um, England uh, are, are good for the, the championship? Uh, yeah, they would be my choice. Um, I mean, they've had the injuries, but they've, had, they've, they've got a lot of strength in depth in those positions where they have got the injuries. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Laws and, and Launchbury coming into the second row in, in place of the, the uh, Toji and, uh, and Cruiz. But uh, the important thing for me is that they've got the spine of the team, like Andy said. Um, uh, Eddie Jones has got his plan of attack. Uh, and he's got his generals there in the right positions. There's nothing affected them with injuries. Uh, we've got the same scrum half, the same outside half, the same inside centre. So um, these are the guys who are going to be controlling the game for England. And uh, the other guys have just got to slot into place and do what they're expected to do. 
Okay, um, I think I've uh, spotted the, uh, the the lesser spotted John Dole on my left there. Um, John, can we have another question, please? We can do it's roof related. Hi, boys. Um, I'm Simon from Cabalfa. Uh, I just wondered what your opinion is on the Millennium Stadium roof because there's been an open debate. Seems to be every year people go open or shut. Should it be open? Is it Wales that decide or is it not Wales that decide or? I just wondered what the boys I thought. thought I thought you meant the roof in Bridgend then, the purple. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean uh, the Millennium roof? All right, okay. Yeah. Lee, Lee you're, you're the only one of us who's, um, who's played at the stadium, at least competitively anyway. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, with, without any doubt, when the, when the stadium roof is closed, um, it does give you an extra bit of fire in the belly, although you don't need it putting, putting that jersey on and playing for Wales. Um, uh, the atmosphere is just electric and it, it does raise the game uh, but also the the opposition as well you know it raises their game and uh, it's not much of an advantage I, I wouldn't say having having the, the roof closed you know and but it's whether depending on whether each coach agrees on it and you know who you know, who wants to close it who wants to open it we always have this debate on the, the hours before the match so and so doesn't want to close and I think it's just come to an agreement are we going to have it open or are we going to have it closed from the start, the start of the tournament and, and to leave it like that but I'd like to see it closed for running rugby more tries bonus points etc uh, and also for the atmosphere for the fans who are paying a lot of money for tickets Simon you've, you've reported on a few roof rows in your time I, uh, I would assume I want things to stay the same, so I can keep writing about them. I mean, uh, <laughs> every every game there's a there's a debate to be had about it. I mean, I think if you if you look at um, the Six Nations and what they're doing with the bonus points, <clears throat> and and the, and the desire within world rugby to try and make it a more entertaining spectacle, then having a roof and not using it. I think it was in the '99 World Cup. I think it was um, Tim Horan. I think it was said, you know, having the roof and not closing it, you know, would. It's like you know, having a Ferrari in the drive and going to work on the bus. So, you know, when you've got that facility, when, when you've got that facility, it, you know, it does seem a bit strange not to be able to utilise it. But then I suppose rugby was supposed to be played in all conditions. But I do think with the entertainment factor in mind, the roof being closed does seem to make sense, really. Uh, Graham, any, any strong thoughts on, on the roof? Well, as you all know, I'm from Pondypool <laughs> Rugby Club. <laughs> That, that home of open flowing rugby, you know. And <laughs> we, we, we played in the days before we had the synthetic balls, you know, and we used to live soaking that ball in a bath of water overnight before the match. And if it had been peeing down with rain overnight, we used to water the field as well. So uh, I think you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> Great, great stuff there, uh, John. Can we can we get another one from uh, from the pad, please? Yeah, this one's directed at Lee uh, initially, but I suppose everyone can have this say. It's from uh, Leanne in Bridgend. I don't know if you know Lee. Um, I might do. I might do. My wife's watching this, so be careful. <laughs> be very Lee, careful. You, you were one of Wales' uh, best ever 15s. Who would you rather see wear the shirts over the Six Nations, Liam Williams or Lee Halfpenny? Well, thank you for the uh, compliment, there, Leanne. Is it whatever your name is? Um, um, but I wouldn't that go that far. I'd say, you know, in my day, I, w I was probably the best in my era, but not the best ever. Um, <laughs> but, no, I, I would love to see Liam Williams play 15, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, I know he obviously he's transferable on the wing, but so is Lee Halfpenny. I've played a lot of tests with Lee on the wing, and I can tell you something now, he's one of the quickest in the team. I think he just, 
It, he doesn't. It, when he is a fullback, he's got too much time to think about things. When he, when he's on the wing, um, he knows he's just got to pin his ears back and, and beat defenders one on one, and he hasn't got much time. I feel when he gets the ball, um, he sort of he, he's almost got too much time to think about it. Uh, whereas instinctively on a winger, which I think Lee grew up playing, um, you know, for me personally, I put him on the wing, and Lee, Liam Williams is a natural f- out and out fifteen for me. You know, high ball defensively, hitting lines. Bit like myself, really, but uh, no, no, he's uh, he's on fantastic form, and uh, you know, he, he I think he's pocketed himself a place on Lions Trip. But um, for me, Liam Williams of fifteen and the half pain on the wing. Have you got uh, any more um, any more coming from that uh, source, uh, John, or should we go to the floor? Okay, we'll go to the floor. Let's go to the floor. Okay. Hi guys, uh, uh, my name is Reese from Neath. Um, do you feel that the coaching within this country could? Um, be improved um, because I find that um, the reason that we're behind uh, well we're slightly behind nations like Australia New Zealand and South Africa is because they're, they're encouraged to play a more running game whereas in this country we're more encouraged to um, uh, you see that man you go run into him and uh, get over the gain line uh, do you find that the coaching in Wales um, uh, could and should improve? Uh, Lee, I guess you're the only one who's probably 100% qualified to answer that, so uh, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, picking on me tonight. Um, <laughs> no, I just th- think that, obviously, Graham said earlier, we need to uh, evolve our game. Um, we've seen glimpses of it in New Zealand. Um, I think it was a lovely try. Um, we pull the ball back. But, but I'm saying lovely try. That's normal for teams like New Zealand to do week in, week out in their provincial teams, in their international teams. But for us, when we've done that, it was like, wow, we've changed our game. Um, but, you know, more of that we need to be seeing for 40, 50 minutes, not just one-off one-off instances, which that was. And, uh, you know, it's not going to take time. Game plans take a lot of time to change. And Warren's used the same, you know, as we... Who well, named it Warren Ball? I don't know, one of you two. Um, for the last 10 years, and it has been effective. Uh, we've won champions from it, Six Nations, but it's as like everything, everyone catches on to it and knows exactly how to deal with it. And so now we've got to come up with a plan that's going to beat someone else. Like Eddie Jones has come in with a new plan for England. That's going to take you know another four years for us to catch up with them. Um, I think it's just, it's just uh, the scary thing is that we don't want to be falling too far behind, so we've got to sort it out pretty quick, really. So hopefully we'll see some good, we might see something cha- big in the Six Nations change in. I mean, any observations on on coaching in in this this country, Andy? I know you've been, you know, you you have had some quite forthright opinions on it uh, in the past in terms of, you know, maybe the p- perception of it from people, um, you know, off the field. Yeah, well, the WIU they spent thousands and thousands of pounds on coaching over the years. They run all these coaching courses. Yet, how many people actually come through who you consider good enough to uh, coach the Wales team? Wales team. Yes, Dai Young is making a mark uh, with Wasp, but it's taken him uh, so long. He didn't have much uh, success, certainly during the early years at uh, Cardiff or Cardiff, uh, Cardiff Blues. Um, and there's an advantage, though, in the uh, Southern Hemisphere, when they play super rugby, generally the weather's a lot better, the pitch is a lot firmer than up here, so especially if you look at the weather at the moment. Um, so our rugby is played on more, in more difficult conditions, so yes, it is harder to move the ball. But there has been a lot of uh, play-by-numbers, kicking for territory and stuff like that. Though I do think now the regions have started to buy in while Gatland and all have been uh, trumpeting uh, since last summer, which is to move the ball more. I think Wayne Pivich, who's a New Zealander, is a good 
coach at the Scarlet, Tandy and that are doing a good uh, job at the Ospreys as well. You watch the Ospreys play, they're certainly uh, a really well-drilled team, though the best team I've seen outside the international sphere this season has been Saracens saw them against the Scarlets up in uh, London and I thought they just looked like a, like an international team they knew exactly where they, what they were doing they were so well drilled and they had some guys playing that day you know with uh, youngsters you never heard of before and they looked a real deal and I think a lot of that was to do with the coaching I so I think in Wales over the years yeah we have failed coaching wise and the WIU now they've got a new regime they've got you get like Johns and all involved in it it's up to them to drive it forward and we do need to start uh, producing some uh, good coaches because even though the guys you think Di Young should be the next Wales coach uh, I think he's a candidate but that job to me should go to the best person who's available in the world No, Andy you, I hear you mentioning Saracens a few times but do you realise that there are two Pontypool players in the Saracens team <laughs> Not yeah, only the Bonipolas. <laughs> yeah, the Bonipolas. They uh, they came up through the Pontypool schools, lower age group section, and uh, we've got a lot of other Tongans there as well. And funnily enough, you're talking about uh, uh, the the approaches of these different clubs. Um, Saracens have got their eye on them as well, because they're putting them through um, public schools and, and giving them a better education, and obviously guiding them on the way to. Uh, to the English clubs rather than uh, the Welsh Rugby Union grabbing them for uh, for, for Wales. I think, uh, sorry, going on to that point with Burnford uh, schooling, etc. You know, I know Claremont have got a, something in Fiji where they, they go to Fiji, the best villages in Fiji, and take the best players and put them in pro you know, private educated schools in France and ed give them a better education and then bring them through the system there. So, you know, it's sort of a, sort of a bit of something that, you know, could be looked at really. I know, you know, we want Welsh players at the end of the day, but. Um, you know, these players coming through are brilliant talents and uh, you can't ignore them, really. Yeah, another point I'd like to, to make as well, um, New Zealand at the top of the tree, they're the best. Uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of New Zealand, but uh, they've got a, a particular style of play, but uh, the whole country buys into that style. Every single team is playing the similar style, the, 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 uh, the Super uh, 15 sides. Uh, the national provincial sides right away from back to from when the the kids put on their first pair of boots everything is in place for them to become a future all black by the time they get into the all blacks team um they they've they've had a, a thorough grounding in what is required of being an all black uh, and they are just the best all uh, they are just the best athletes playing rugby in the country and, and sometimes when you watch good in new zealand and watch these young kids half of them are playing without boots as well at the age of 13 14 and uh, you know that that for me again that says says a lot really where you know maybe yeah. our players want the best boots but these kids are you know they're playing bare feet in in New Zealand a lot of them yeah I, I know uh, probably I'll get shot down talking about the the way the rugby what used to be in the seventies <laughs> you know being called an old fad and whatever but um, back in those days the the rugby of the clubs underpinned the the, the Welsh team and that was the strength of the, the Welsh team at the time. And if we had a Phil Bennett playing in the national team, then the second best player at outside half was the second best Phil Bennett, and the third best and the fourth best all the way down, because they all wanted to be exactly like the, the Wales players. Uh, and it was the same in every other position as well. So that if, if anybody was injured, or the, the, the next player in line would just slot in almost seamlessly. Interesting stuff there, uh, John. Uh, can we take another question from the floor? Yeah, we can indeed. I'll just pass the microphone along. Evening gentlemen, my name is Mark from Newport. 
Um, Graham touched on the question. He made a statement that the question I want to ask is, obviously last year we came second, I believe. Uh, disappointing uh, summer tour, which was quite expected. And then we had one of our best autumn series, and the whole nation didn't like that at all. Would, would we be more happy if we lost and played better, or what's your opinion on that, please? Simon, do you want to start us off on that one? Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because it's frustrating, it really is, you know? Yeah, I, can, I, I take your point, because if you think about it, what we touched on earlier, it was three out of four, which is, is one of the best autumns we've had. But to be honest, you did have a feeling that the results were papering over the cracks, and it wasn't a true reflection, certainly, of the performance levels to say that it was a really successful autumn. If you, if you go through that period, I mean, the Australia game was, was a very disappointing start. And the Japan game in particular, I think, left people very frustrated. And a team that really didn't be quite clear what, what, what they were trying to do for a lot of that game. Now, clearly, they beat South Africa. That was already the third time that's ever happened in Welsh rugby history. But I have to say that's the worst South African team I've ever seen come to Cardiff. They were, they were awful. Um, that's why, although it was three wins out of four, there is a pressure going into this Six Nations now. And <clears throat> especially in Rob Howley's situation, he clearly would like to be the, the long-term successor to Gatlin. And this his second period as interim coach is absolutely crucial because it's his opportunity now to really stake a claim for it. And that leads to a lot of pressure. And I do think it could be a rather nervous team on Saturday um, because clearly there's a need to up the performance levels from the autumn if they are to be truly competitive in the Six Nations. Uh, and should there have been a, a different outlook on, on the autumn or what was the, the reaction right? Well, I think the autumn actually created a problem for Wales, didn't it? Because they won three matches. So it's very difficult to make radical and also changes on the back of uh, finishing the campaign by beating Argentina, which I thought was a very good performance, though the Pumas were shattered from the Euro travel they've had and uh, finishing against uh, South Africa. If they'd lost against South Africa, I think they would have made changes for, the, uh, for this championship. But if you look at the Wales team they picked this weekend, seriously, how many players could come in which would actually strengthen that team? Personally, I don't think as many, which shows the, uh, our lack of uh, depth, perhaps. Um, so if Wales don't have a good championship, say they lose their first two games, if I was, I'd be inclined myself, if I was the coach, to look towards the future and start developing the young uh, lads who are in the squad with the 2019 World Cup in mind. But as everyone has, uh, you know, agrees, really, Howley's neck is on the line. He wants to be the next Wales coach, so he's got to get results. And that's the harsh reality of international rugby, I'm afraid. Graham, um, your uh, columns in Wales on Sunday uh, drew a lot of reaction during the autumn. Um, what now, you, now that you look back on that, do you think um, pundits, public alike, called it right? Um, well, I think so. But as you know, um, I was calling for changes in the in the personnel and the the style of play 12 months ago when we should have been rebuilding and evolving in readiness for the next World Cup. And we didn't take that opportunity. And I wonder uh, whether the team that we picked for today or wholly picked for this match would have been significantly different if he had already started the rebuilding and evolving exercise. Okay. Lee, Lee, any thoughts on uh, how did you sort of uh, react to the way things went in the autumn? Were you, you know, were you looking more at the results or the performances? Um, probably the performances, really. Um, quite frustratingly, like Simon said, you know, you last-minute drop goal from Sam Davis, you know, Japan, and then you. Would, 
the worst South African team I've seen, like Simon said again, you know, you would back his boat for and people going on social media saying a disgrace to the national team um, coming over here, you know, Wales beating them, Italy beat them the week before. Um, so there's two wins there, Argentina, Europe travelling and, you know, the, the the biggest test was the Australia and we've seen, seen the outcome of that game and Australia absolutely demolished Wales. So um, for me, it was it was sort of a, not a get out of jail card, but it was quite fortunate um, results and the teams that come over went Wales's way. But, you know, it, I would have liked, well, we would, probably all would have liked to have um, seen Wales probably for changes in the team um, lose a few games personally, you know, so we could get the, the youngsters and the talent, but now that obviously they've beaten South Africa and they've stuck to the same team, um, which beat them. So, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's it is a funny one. Lee, Lee, what I can understand is why do you keep agreeing with Simon and not me? You want to go again now, aren't you? <laughs> okay, uh, um, John, uh, I, think, I think we're going to take one from Twitter or Facebook or wherever it may be. Yeah, yeah we'll do two in one. We'll uh, try and keep them uh, swift. Uh, Craig Evans from Cardiff to Lee and Graham. Who was the best Welsh player you ever played with? And uh, maybe one for, for somebody else uh, from Simon in Cumbran. Uh, which current player in the Welsh squad do you think is the best player in the Wales team? Well, best player you played with then, Lee? Uh, uh, probably, uh, well, obviously, best player I've ever played with in Wales was Shane Williams, and Mike Phillips would go nuts for me on that, if I say that. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll tell you it's him, but it's, uh, no, Shane Williams, personally, um, guy was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I probably lost about four years off my career, though, for making tackles for him, but... Uh, I, I put him in. I put him in for a few tries, but no, he, he, you know, he's exceptional. For, you know, when the day of modern, you know, six foot four wingers, you know, and you've seen Shane there, and he could do something out of nothing. And sometimes you just have to take a, a step back and watch and think, wow, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's only two players I've ever seen, and that was one was Sivivatu in France, and, and the other one was Shane, and them two was just could do things that I've never seen anyone else do in my, in my career. Graham. Uh. Yeah, well, there's only one player from my era I, I, I can think of, and that's the great Gareth Edwards. I mean, uh, the, 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 the only—I mean, there's so many positive things I can say about Gareth. I mean, he was a—he was an athlete. I don't know what, how many of you know, but uh, in school he was a, a member of the Welsh athletics team in the hundred metres hurdles, and he actually beat Alan Pascoe, the uh, Commonwealth Games uh, gold medalist. Uh, but uh, if the only negative thing I can think about Gareth really is the fact that uh, he was afraid to come up to Pontypool Park. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's not strictly true. He used to come up and play in the, in the, the big cup matches that we used to have. And, uh, and uh, you know, our game plan was all about stopping Gareth and uh, we never succeeded. So, uh, you know, he is great. He's, uh, he was actually voted uh, the greatest rugby player ever in the history of the world. So, uh, you know... All the other countries can't be wrong either. Yeah. Great stuff. I don't know if um, Simon, Andy, you could um, answer the Simon second agrees one. Simon agrees with me. Uh, uh, I think the, the initial question was about the current team. I mean, I think when you're looking at the players you really want to see as the best, you talk about consistent excellence. And for me, there's two players in the current Welsh set. There's Anna Wynne-Jones and there's, there's Tulipi Falatau. Players who 
very, very rarely let their standards drop. If you look at Faletau, when he's fit, he's, he's virtually always near the top of the, of the tackles and the carries and also line out forward. And Alwyn Jones, I mean, you know, he's the kind of bloke who doesn't allow his standards to drop because he'd, he'd just be fuming at himself if he did. He just expects so much of himself all the time. And I think those two have really set a benchmark in, in modern Welsh rugby as right up there. And let's be honest, world-class performance. Uh, Andy, you're a, you've always been a, a Justin Tipperidge man, haven't you? Or? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Justin Tipperidge, but really he has still got to prove himself at the, uh, on the international stage. Uh, Faletau is a standout, standout uh, player for me He's in one of the most hotly contested uh, positions in world rugby. You know, you've got some, some brilliant number eights. There's Kieran... Uh, Keelan Reed, Isa, the Argentine guy's top player. Parisi, to, to me, has been one of the most best players of all time. Imagine what damage he'd do if he was playing for the All Blacks. Um, so Falatau's right up there. Bloke we haven't mentioned. Unfortunately, he's not involved in this campaign. And I might in, uh, uh, get some displeasure from Graham on this one. But I think we've got to pay tribute to Gethin Jenkins. He's been an absolutely fantastic player. He's been on three Lions tours, record number of caps. And like Lee, he's a player I've had a few bad moments with, dealing with. <laughs> best mates now, lad. Yeah, we best mates now. But uh, so the Merlin, you know, let's don't underestimate what a job he's done for, for Wales over the years. Uh, he's been adequate in the scrum, but around the park, he, he's been uh, unbelievable, really. His work over the ball, his tackling and all, and the bloke has certainly got so much uh, drive. And, uh, I think we've got to give him a bit of credit. OK, look, I'm going to move it on. Uh, John, can we take another question, please? Yeah, we'll try and get through a few now as quick as we can. Uh, I'll pass it on to this guy. Lovely. Thank you. Uh, hi, my name's John from Cardiff, Cardiff Blues uh, season ticket holder. Um, I just want to get the thoughts of the panel regarding um, uh, Israel Dag running up to the 2015 World Cup. Huge figure in the Air New Zealand campaign, poster boy for New Zealand rugby, dropped by Steve Hansen for the New Zealand team. What did he do? Did he throw his toys out the pram? Did he go to France? No. He simply went back to Hawke's Bay, played a phenomenal campaign with them in the ITM Cup. Do you feel that there's not enough examples like that in certain positions across Europe, wherever the boys are playing, that there's not enough uh, competition with, uh, for certain number jerseys when it comes to the international team? Because Simon said in the last one back in November that the biggest hold that we have in Welsh rugby is that Welsh jersey. Lee nailed it on for four or five seasons, quite rightly so. Fantastic player. I don't see that there's enough encouragement at the moment because the players are all over the place to try and scrap for their position, you know, in the starting lineup. And I, I just want the thoughts on the panel, if possible. Um, well, well, Simon, as um, as the gentleman mentioned, you, I, I suppose it comes down to the how much that shirt and getting the maximum worth out of that red jersey. I think that the big thing with New Zealand is that they do have such a player pool and such a talent that if someone's form drops just a little bit, then they can be left out because well, they've got Ben Smith, for example, who comes in and plays fantastically well at fullback if required. And I think the, the New Zealand coaches by nature are not afraid of being brutal in their decisions, you know. Um, so I guess a lot of it comes down to the options you've got. Um, but there is an element, certainly perhaps with this Wales team, if you look at it, today's Groundhog Day, February the 2nd, and it seemed quite appropriate because there was a kind of sense of same old, same old to the Wales team selection today. And perhaps we've talked before about the need for players to come in, and perhaps we are a little bit conservative when it comes to retaining players who've been part of the setup for a while. 
and maybe there is a need for a slightly more cutthroat attitude and really rewarding current form. Okay. Um, look, I'm going to move it on, I think, because, um, like I say, I want to get round as many as possible. Uh, so, John, uh, let's have another question. Yeah, we've got loads of questions, so we'll, uh, we'll get through as many as we can. Hi, guys. Jamie from Evervale. Um, with the lack of new faces in the squad, do we think that we need to bring back the A side to improve competition for places? Graham? Um, is there a need, uh, with a lack of competition in the squad, to bring back the A side? Uh, well, yeah, I believe that uh, the A-side is on its way back, but uh, uh, the way the system works, uh, you can't just break, bring it back uh, overnight. It's got to take a, uh, a couple of years, I think. You know, they don't think there's a place in the fixture list at the moment, but uh, the idea is to bring it back, and uh, I think it's, it's not before time. Uh, I used to really love watching those AT matches on the Friday night before an international. You could see the guys putting their hands up for the positions, and, and, and they were really staking a claim. And uh, whenever there was an injury in the in the Welsh team, there was always somebody ready, willing, and able to set set foot uh, from the A team into the uh, the national side. And uh, not only that, but it's also somewhere for these these youngsters, the lads who are in the uh, the Wales under 20s, to aim for. Um, because without that, uh, they they just uh, they, they could just go aimless, I suppose. You know, if they haven't got a, a target to aim for straight away. Uh, so the ATBS, yes, I think it is a brilliant idea. Um, Lee, I might be wrong about this, but I think it was no more by the time you were, um, were playing for Wales. Um, what, what are your thoughts on the A-side? Yeah, growing up, obviously, like uh, you know, Graham said, I was a big fan of watching uh, the A-team. You know, I never come through any systems myself, you know, academies, etc., or A-teams. But I used to love watching, uh, you know, Wales A on a Friday night before the big international game, before going out on Cardiff for the boys and a few beers. But uh, you know, it was, um, yeah, it's personally for me that the players that need game time, you know, the youngsters like you know, Steph Evans, Keelan Giles, wouldn't it, how good would it be to see them playing on a Friday night, you know, in, in whatever the, the A-team fixtures will be and, you know, seeing them come through and develop and, and getting them ready, really, for, for international rugby. And, uh, you know, the competition is good within the, within the nations, the strong nations in Ireland and England, and it could be a good competition if it gets off the ground. OK, John, let's have another one, please. Yeah, OK, here we go. Hi, I'm Steve uh, from Panath. Um, the setup has said that they want to improve their back play, um, become more attacking. They had um, Matt Sherrett as coach in the autumn, and then they've got Alex King now. How difficult is it for the players to adapt to different voices in the coaching setup in such a short space of time? Well, Lee, again, I, I suppose uh, you're more qualified than anyone to answer that. How, how difficult is it to adapt to new voices? Um, yeah, I think with the match at one, that was a strange one. I think uh, it was only maybe four or five weeks' notice he had before he came into that autumn international. He probably would have liked a bit more notice, but he can have t turned that job down for his, you know, for his own career. And you know, personally, and Cardiff Blues let him let him let go and and so on. But Alex King, I, I know very well, and he, he's a great coach, and he's been there now a few weeks and speaking to a few of the boys. They've really adapted to him. Um, he's a top bloke. Um, he's a great coach, and uh, he, you know he, he's got. Like I said, he's one, he was part of that successful Wasps backline that got them ticking when they were European champions. Um, he's worked with Howley in the past, you know, in Gatland as a player and under him. So yeah, just hopefully, I'm hoping that Alex will do really well because uh, you know, like I said, you know, he's he's a, he's a great guy and, and he's a good coach. And uh, but bringing someone in last minute in the order with with Matt Sherrod, I think that was. A, totally wrong decision for me uh, he's only 
probably just come from Bristol um, straight to Cardiff and then gone straight into international rugby. I think you've got to earn your you know, earn your stripe really to to get to get to, uh, into that position really. Graham, it's a, a far cry from when you were playing uh, in terms of all these coaches. Uh, what are your thoughts on that in, in terms of um, you know too many different voices? Uh, well, I, I came through a system. Uh, well, at Ponypool we had one coach for for 17 years, so it's only one voice I, I got to uh, listen to. Uh, with Wales, it was John Dawes for a fair proportion of my international career. Laterally, um, uh, uh, John Lloyd and then uh, John Bevan. Uh, so really, uh, it's not a case of um, uh, adapting to the, uh, the the voices. It's uh, I just I didn't have that experience of too many voices anyway. You know, particularly with the number of coaches uh, in the setup. But one thing I, I, that does interest me, um, Howley has uh, uh, appointed a, a new backs coach, but. Uh, you know, an attacking coach, but wasn't he the attacking coach under Gatland? I mean, it's going to be a bit embarrassing if all of a sudden the uh, the Welsh back play should suddenly uh, improve out of out of all recognition, and uh, and uh, the 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 attacking coach has appointed somebody to do the job instead of him. It's almost like passing the buck a little bit. Uh, <laughs> um, just briefly, Simon, um, if I remember rightly, I, I hope I'm going to get this right. You were, you were the man who broke the story about Alex King coming into the Welsh setup. Yeah. Um, um, so it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because a big thing in rugby I mean, is continuity. And if you look at it, over the space of a year, last summer Howley was attack coach. In the autumn is Matt Sherrod. Now it's Alex King. Next summer it's going to be Stephen Jones. Then it's back to Matt Sherrod. Well, Sherrod, I think, is going to be the um, what they, tactical kick coach. And, and Stephen Jones is going to be the backs coach. And then you go back to Howley for next season. So, you know, it must be quite difficult for the players with the attack coach changing from campaign to campaign. I mean, although, you know, you can speak at the present and um, people have been talking, the players today have been talking up Alex King and what he's brought into the setup there. So hopefully that will work. But I think it must be very difficult when you're chopping and changing your coaches as much as this. Did I hear you say they needed a kicking coach then? <laughs> for Jobly? I am actually, yeah. I agree with you, Ant. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Dell, I think it's, uh, it's a shame, really, he's not an Englishman, is, uh, not a Welshman, sorry. <laughs> who's, uh, a Welshman who's been, uh, who's been brought in as backs coach. I think Wales missed a massive trick last autumn when they could have used the under 20 coach, Jason Strange, which I'm sure the gentleman from Ebervale will tell you. Jason is an outstanding uh, young coach, and all his teams play attractive, exciting, attacking. Uh, rugby, so I think they missed an opportunity there to develop uh, Jason uh, further. Okay, John. Yep. Okay. Hi, Lewis from Cardiff. Um, with four Blues players in the Welsh squad and two, three Dragons players, East Wales doesn't seem to be punching its weight in the uh, the Welsh team. Any comments on that? Well, they need to play rugby on a pitch first. <laughs> no. uh, in fact, I heard the Dragons are going to sign some Maoris because they are specialists at uh, paddling canoes. <laughs> <laughs> the training was off. They were digging the fork in the pitch today, apparently. Oh, oh, okay. Um, uh, uh, Lee, uh, any thoughts on it? Any more serious oh. thoughts on it? Look, I was part of the um, 2008 uh, Grand Slam team where we had 13 Ospreys in the team. Um, Galacticos. <laughs> another one you... Uh, Another name you give us, yeah, come back to haunt us. Never won nothing. Um, but uh, no, it was 13, um, you know, Ospreys in that team. Um, I think it's a, w a winning team. You know, why not keep uh, players who are winning week in, week out? You know, the Ospreys are winning. 
uh, Scarlets are doing okay. And, and to be honest, with you, the Dragons ain't playing, are they? The games are getting called off. But uh, Cardiff Blues, you know, the, 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 the selection, the, the players there who've been picked, are rightly so. But it's, it's all on form, and, and, and I think the team, um, you know, that are doing well at the present time. The present time, too, it was the Ospreys. And again, it's the Ospreys and the Scarlets. It's the case, isn't it, at the moment? West is best, Scarlets and uh, Ospreys are playing really well. Blues are flat and deceive, and Dragons really are, are nowhere. So, you know, you've got to uh, worry a bit about uh, why East Wales rugby can provide a uh, challenge to those teams out west. Well, Pondy Paul won on Saturday. I forgot for him to say that. I mean. He'd be smashing me now. Okay, John, let's, uh, let's hear another one. Yeah, okay, right at the back. Hi, it's Dan from Bridgend. Um, it was touched on earlier that today's selection was a bit like Groundhog Day. Um, Unfortunately, Italy first with selection. Um, Howley's probably looking at a win's a win, moving on to the next game. Three out of four in autumn, autumn internationals. When are the new caps ever going to get a run out? Simon? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. If you look back to when the Six Nations squad was announced, there were seven uncapped players, and there was, there was for once a bit of excitement and interest, and you know, surprised that there were that many, and it did get enthusiasm back but in a way that's all been dissipated now because none of the seven are involved this week I mean I think there was certainly you know a case uh, for Thomas Young being involved in the 23 he's been excellent for Wasps this season you know one of the best flankers in the premiership and also you could have made an argument maybe for, for Owen Williams the Leicester um, centre uh, stroke out at half who would add a versatility to that back division so the reaction today, if you couple that with the fact that maybe Sam Davis would have brought a greater attacking edge to the side, there was people felt that should have happened. So it has left people rather shrugging their shoulders and it doesn't seem to have been anywhere near as excited by the squad for Italy as there was for the actual original Six Nations squad. Lee, do you, uh, do you go along with that? Um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, like you said, like you said uh, Simon Mulgrew again. <laughs> no. no, it's... Um, it's a funny one, really. You know, I think. Well, I, I can't really answer that one. Really, Simon's done it for all for me again. But uh, no, we'll let Andy answer that one because he'll only say, he'll only say that I'm agreeing with Simon. And should there have been more uh, new faces in that in that team? I would have. Uh, I think I probably would have started with Sam Davis, though he's not entirely a new face. And I would definitely add uh, Steph Evans on the wing because uh, I think George North. Uh, he's had a real flat spot in his career the last few years he's had these uh, serious head injuries I think he's uh, lost confidence and uh, unfortunately at the moment he offers more negatives than uh, uh, positives teams, teams target him defensively they kick on him, they run at him he gets drawn in and uh, he was found out against Australia defensively, George Wales would need George North at his rampage in best but I don't think we've seen that since the uh, Lions I think Steph Evans come on a bundle this season he's got he looks for the ball he looks for work and he's a bit like Shane in the sense that he can beat people in all areas of the pitch and he does damage in midfield and areas so I would like to see him in the side uh, up front you know we got exciting as he is the exciting youngster playing there Nicky Smith I do really think he's a good prospect Graham, um, perhaps you're going to narrow it down a little bit. Is there is there one player in particular who you would have liked to have seen in that team that, that wasn't selected? Or were, you, or were you happy with the selection? Well, I keep going back to what happened last year. I think if uh, 
you know, it would be a, a different selection this year if um, if we started our developing and, and things. It could have been a whole different ball game. But uh, no, I think there's, there's in some positions uh, like Gethin Jenkins' old position, uh, we've got good competition for places. You know, two good guys uh, who are both. Uh, you know, developing along the the right lines, and um, you know, both of them, both props, Rob Evans and Nicky Smith, are good uh, ball carries as well, which we haven't really had in uh, up front so much. You know, other countries tend to have uh, quite a few ball carriers, which has helped them develop their game. I mean, uh, I mean, Ireland have got a, a stack of them, England have got a, a load of them, uh, but um, it, it tends to uh, we, we we rely on the on the guys out in the backs to, to, to do all the work um, in that respect and uh, I think sometimes we expect too much of them as well. Okay, um, we're running out of time so uh, John, I don't know if we're going to take... Yeah, we'll, we'll, take, we'll, take, we'll maybe finish up a similar one to how I think we finished uh, last time actually uh, but um, this is Seb Davis from Caldicott uh, to Graham and, and Lee really. Uh, what's the best and most embarrassing, shocking, humiliating story uh, you can tell us uh, from the dressing room about yourself or a former teammate uh, to send us all home with a smile on our face. My goal, lad. <laughs> if anyone see my goal, lad, that's the most embarrassing thing in my career. <laughs> but uh, no, but, you know, there's, that's the probably uh, that's the most embarrassing moment. And the other bit was the best moment. Oh, the best, oh, the best story probably on. You know, I got a story about uh, Mike Phillips when he was yeah. Well, it's usually Andy Powell, but I'll give I'll give Mike a story. Yeah, um, yeah. We you know obviously when we flew away on tours and etc. And you know we were fortunate enough to to be put in business class on on these flights and um, we'd get our tickets and every time Mike would get his ticket, um, you know he'd hand the ticket in and uh, he'd say there's something wrong with his ticket and the woman would say no there's not it's business class and he said well where's world class <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she just look at him and, and I'll just walk off then and, and, he, and it's where he turned on 10 tours every time Graham I thought you were going to tell the story uh, about Bobby Windsor um, uh, the first tour I went on uh, with Wales was to Japan in 1975 and uh, we were in the, the team bus driving down to Heathrow Airport and uh, Bobby was moaning he said last year I played in all four tests with the British Lions and the 74 test series winning tour uh, but I bet they're going to put us down in economy class at the back of the plane I ought to be in first class so anyway he kept on about this all the way down there all the way we got pissed off with him anyway we're glad to see the back of it <laughs> When we walked onto the plane, all the players turned right to go down to economy class where we had our, where our boarding passes sent us. But uh, Bobby turned left, walked into the first class um, compartment and plonked himself down in somebody else's seat. And the, the, um, the stewardess said, excuse me, sir, uh, you shouldn't really be sitting there. That's somebody else's seat. Uh, your ticket is... Uh, back for you to sit back in the economy section at the back of the plane he said no he said my name's Bobby Windsor I played in all four tests with the Lions last year and I deserve to be playing sitting in first class <laughs> anyway she got the the chief steward he came along and he tried uh, exactly the same and uh, without any success and Bobby said I'm not going down there I, I, I played all four tests with the Lions last summer and I deserve to be sitting in first class so they got the captain of the aeroplane and he asked him the same thing. He said, please, could you go and sit down the back there? And uh, 
and Bobby gave him the same reply. I played all four tests with the Lions last summer. <laughs> I deserve to be sitting in first class. So the captain went down to the team management, sitting in the back of the plane, John Dawes, uh, Les Spence, the manager, and Mervyn Davis, the captain. And he explained the situation. Uh, you've got a, one of your players, Bobby Windsor, sitting in the uh, first class section in somebody other seat. He should be down here in economy class. And um, he refuses to move. And Mervyn said, I'll go up and have a word with him now. Uh, I toured uh, with him all the way through that tour for three and a half months. And I got to know Bobby really well. So he went up to the front of the airplane, to the first class section. And uh, he had a quiet word in Bobby's ear. And Bobby just got up, picked up his flight bag and, and his boarding pass and walked calmly down to the back of the plane. Anyway, the captain said to Mervyn, he said, uh, he said, that was amazing. How did you persuade him to, to, to move, go down to the back of the plane uh, after all the trouble we've had in trying to get him to move? And uh, Mervyn said, well, I know him really well from that, uh, that 74 Lions tour. Uh, I just told Bobby that the first class section wasn't going to Tokyo. <laughs> well, but, but well, as, as you'll appreciate all the best rugby stories happen on rugby tours and where, where my, my two mates uh, the pony pool front row Bobby and Charlie are concerned is particularly the case and uh, I mean the first international tour as I said was the tour to Japan and uh, and uh, when you go on these international tours, you get to know your, your teammates a downside better than you do on just uh, the two or three night uh, international weekend. And the one thing I learned from sharing a room with Charlie for three weeks was what a tight bastard he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you go on these international tours, virtually everything is paid for. Your, your flights to and from the country, Hotel accommodation, your meals in the hotel are paid for. About the the the, the team room is kept stocked full of free free booze, so you don't have to pay for that unless you really want to. About the only thing that you've got to pay for are your phone calls home. And I knew from sharing a room with Charlie for three weeks, this was really irritating him. <laughs> anyway, we came to the last day of the tour, and we beat Japan. Uh, in, in Tokyo in the, in the second test by a world record margin and we went out on the town to, to celebrate and in the early hours of the morning after it, it had seemed that we'd visited every bar, club and pub in Tokyo we decided to go back to the hotel where we knew this mountain of free beer was waiting for us in the team room within minutes of us arriving Charlie realised that there was a telephone in the team room and he said, you reckon I could make a, home, a telephone call home on that telephone without having to pay for it? Now, this was Japan, and even in 1975 in Japan, you could not make a, a direct dial phone call from a hotel. You had to go through the switchboard <laughs> operator. And we knew that if Charlie gave his details to the switchboard operator, they'd manage to trace the call and he'd have to pay for it. So we worked out a plan where Charlie had to use somebody else's name. And we thought the best person's name was Mervyn Davis because he was the captain of the team at the time and we knew he didn't have to pay for anything. Now, before I proceed, there's something very important that I need to make you aware of. And that is that the combined IQ of the Pontypool front row is 138. <laughs> and I possess 126 of them. <laughs> 
So Charlie picked up the phone and, and the switchboard operator said, hello sir, how may I help you? And Charlie said, uh, my name's Mervyn Davis, I'm the Wales team captain, I want to make an international call to Newport in South Wales. And the switchboard operator said, thank you sir, uh, the international lines are quite busy this evening. If you put the phone down, uh, it may take me about 20 minutes, but I, I'll ring you back when I've uh, managed to be successful in making the connection. So Charlie put the phone down and we carried on talking and drinking and talking about all sorts of rubbish that Front Row 4 was talking about in the early hours of the morning. Anyway, after about 35 minutes, the phone rang. Charlie picked it up, said hello, and the switchboard operator said, hello sir, I've got an international call to Newport in South Wales booked for Mr Mervyn Davis, the Wales team captain. And Charlie looked around the room and he said, has anybody seen Mervyn? There's an international call to Great stuff. Great. And then he said, sorry, Levy's not here, and he promptly put the phone on. <laughs> uh, great stuff. I, I think that's a, a great place to, to wrap up. Um, thanks ever so much for coming along. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you've had some, uh, some good insight ahead of the Six Nations. Um, and so there's only one more thing to say, and that's enjoy the tournament and come on Wales. Thanks. So there it is, sports fans. That's what happened at our live Welsh rugby debate at the Beer Keller in Cardiff last night. I hope you enjoyed listening to that back. So we're going to be building up from this point onwards uh, to Sunday's game in Rome, Wales against Italy. Uh, we'll have all the build-up to that match. We'll be covering it live. I'll be out there with Andy Howell as well to bring you all the fallout from the press conference, etc. Uh, win, lose or draw for Wales. We'll also be recording one of these podcasts. Uh, we're taking it on the road for the first time, so we'll be recording it from our hotel from a bar maybe and maybe from a taxi who knows but whatever happens we'll get one out to you guys uh, don't forget to head over to itunes to subscribe to this podcast give us some reviews and some likes and some stars and all that jazz and we'll keep doing them so keep an eye out for wales online for all the build-up to sunday's match <laughs>